We're looking at Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, and then chapter 9, verse 10. So let's give our attention to God's Word. This is the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. All men are like grass, and all man's glory is like the flower of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the Word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we... Consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we, we stop and we ask you that you would be with us tonight. That you would speak to us in and through your word. That we would hear from you. Father, we need you to work for that to happen. Uh, we... We're here tonight maybe for any number of reasons, but what we need more than anything is to hear what you have to say. So would you condescend to us and open our ears? Um, Be kind to us, we pray. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I don't know how many of you uh, grew up playing uh, the board game Life. Anybody? Played it before, a few of you. Okay, good. Uh, It's been around for over 150 years. Uh, It was invented in 1860 by Milton Bradley himself. And uh, if you've played it, at least the modern version, uh, you know that the game is actually not that fun, in my opinion. Um, And it's largely based on luck. Um, That is, that you don't really get to make many decisions. Uh, you, you spin the wheel, and most everything is kind of decided for you. You just kind of you know, follow the instructions and do what you're supposed to do. Uh, so in other words, there's not a lot of strategy. There's not, a, there's not a lot of ways that you have to make decisions and affect things. You just spin and move. And look, you know, by, by virtue of the fact that you are a, a living and breathing human being... Uh, you know that that is, that the, uh, I guess what we could say, the game of life, like real life, is nothing like that game of life. That in real life, we're faced with millions of, of decisions all the time. And that there's actually very little just follow the bouncing ball where you're, where you're told what to do, or where what you're supposed to do is very clear cut. So much of life is, is in the middle, right? It's, it's gray area where you have decisions, whether, you know, some virtually inconsequential um, or some are, are monumental. 
But you have decisions all along the way, right? And there's no clear-cut answer. And so how do, how do you navigate life like that? How do you deal with the gray area? And how do you do it well? Well, the Bible's answer to that question is wisdom. Wisdom. And that's why we're studying through Proverbs uh, this semester. Um, our, our theme every week that you'll hear is uh, a life of wisdom. That's what we're going to talk about because that's exactly what Proverbs is. It's a book about how to practically live life well. Uh, Proverbs is in, in many ways, uh, so it's a wisdom book, wisdom literature. And so in many ways, it's very different uh, than, I guess, most of the other books of the Bible. Um, and so in many ways, this is going to be a, a different kind of series. Um, but especially after these first two weeks, it's going to be a very topical study. And we're going to talk about things like uh, money and work and the future and friendship and marriage and all sorts of topics like that. Um, and so we're going to bounce around in Proverbs a lot and not go sort of march straight through like we typically do. But I think it's going to be a really uh, helpful and fruitful study. So tonight, though, uh, we're looking at these opening verses of Proverbs. Uh, and I want to see that it tells us essentially three things. There are three questions that we're going to ask that I think this text uh, helps us answer um, about Proverbs and really about wisdom itself. So we're going to see uh, answer these three questions. Number one, what does it offer? What does it offer to us? Number two, who is it for? And thirdly, how do we get it? Okay, so first, what does Proverbs offer? What does this book offer to us? And very simply put, uh, if you look in verse two, uh, you'll see that uh, Proverbs offers us to know wisdom. That's the overarching idea of the book of Proverbs. Uh, and look, we're going to come across other words. You see them in this text even. Other words that are often used almost synonymously with wisdom. Uh, primarily knowledge. Uh, you'll see instruction. Uh, and they're very closely related. We'll, we'll sort of parse out the definitions a little bit uh, as we go along. But the big idea is wisdom. So what does that mean? Well, the, the Hebrew word, just to you know, show off a little bit that I've uh, been to school. Uh, the Hebrew word is hokmah. And at its root, it basically means skill or um, expertise, being an expert at something. You see it uh, in other places uh, in, the, in the Bible. For example, Exodus 28, uh, Aaron, the high priest, uh, his garments are made by skillful men. Um, the same word for wisdom. But they have this expert uh, ability in garment making. First uh, Kings 7, when Solomon's building the temple, he employs men that have hokmah, that have skill or wisdom, in a sense, in building. And so uh, basically what we see is that this idea of wisdom, it's basically just skill at living. Being good at living life. Uh, whereas knowledge is more, knowledge tends to be more of the data, right? The facts. 
Uh, in, the context, in this context, uh, knowing uh, maybe God's law, knowing what the law is. Whereas wisdom is how to apply those facts to real life. How it fits the everyday ins and outs of life. And so there's a lot of overlap between those two, but, but wisdom is the, the being able to apply it and apply it well. Um, you know, it's the difference between uh, you, or, you or I could probably learn a lot about painting and how to paint. Right? We could take classes and we could learn. <clears throat> I'm going to show how very little I know about painting, but, you know, we can learn how to uh, how to mix colors, right? That yellow and blue make green and whatever else. Uh, You can learn what brushes make what kinds of strokes, and you can learn about perspective and shading and and those sorts of things. Uh, And you can learn that data. Uh, We could even learn what what makes a good painting and how to, I guess in a sense, recognize one, interpret it. But that's a very different thing, though it overlaps with, but a very different thing than an artist, right? A you know, a, a Rembrandt, a Picasso, whomever, that can take that same knowledge and can, and can apply it with unique skill. Sure, he knows how to mix colors, but he, he knows how to put it on that canvas in a unique way, with unique skill. Like Bob Ross, right? Uh, you know, he knows where, to, where and how to put the happy tree there. He has a unique skill in that. So what we're going to see is that Proverbs doesn't, it doesn't give us the rules of life. We can't look at the Proverbs as we work through them as, as laws. Um, right, we find that in other places in the Bible. It, it is, it, Proverbs basically assumes that those laws are true. And it helps us to think about how the truth applies to everyday life. Proverbs tends to look around the world and tell us how it tends to operate. And so, and therefore how to live in the midst of it. Uh, A man named Derek Kidner uh, that I read on some of this, he says that Proverbs is, his quote is, truth in street clothes. Which I thought was pretty helpful. All right, so what does that mean for us? Well, look, like we said, life is, is full of choices. It's full of gray area where life is not easy, where there's no clear cut right or wrong. And wouldn't it be great to be more adept at life in that regard? Uh, Things like, you know, how do I think about who I should live with next semester? Um, And especially maybe when things don't go well with the people I'm living with, how, how do I get along with them? What do I do? Should I confront my roommate? Or should I bear with it patiently? And if I do confront them, how would I go about that? Uh, What should I major in? And how should I go about even thinking about that? I mean, there's no right or wrong about that. And you start to think about, all right, well, should I... I think about how much that major is going to make because it's important to, right, make money. You need money. Um, But am I being greedy? How do I think about how much uh, I like the major versus how much money it's going to make? How do I weigh those things out? Um, What about who should I marry? Should I get married? Do I hang out with this crowd that I think uh, I could actually be a a light to them? 
I think they need the gospel and I have this natural inroad with them. Should I, should I continue that friendship or am I going to find myself um, maybe being more shaped by them than, than by me? Right? Both of those seem, uh, that's a hard one. What do you do? Right? I, I thought about this just over, basically over the last 24 hours. I don't know if this is going to be helpful to you, but it'll be cathartic for me. Um, right? Just parenting. Parenting on the front end, it, it seems fairly easy and stra- straightforward. Maybe not easy, but straightforward. Like, what do you do? I mean, you know, you need, to, you need to feed them and take care of them. You need to teach them stuff, love them, play with them, right? How hard can it be? But then you get into things like, all right, well, how, is, how much screen time, right? Phone, iPad, TV, is screen time okay? How much time? Like, is 30 minutes good or 50? Am I rotting their brain? Is, or is it giving me just a little peace of mind so I can actually talk for 15 seconds with my wife? That seems like a good thing, right? Do we let them play with the kids in the neighborhood? Well, probably so. But what about can they go in, into their house without supervision? Because one of those boys is a lot older and older boys are in, you know. What kind of video games? All right, well, who, whose turn is it to have that thing that they're fighting in? How do you do right? it? There's a billion decisions. And what we all need is just a little bit of wisdom, Right? We need some skill at living, and I think Proverbs begins to help give us that. All right, so who is it for, secondly, as we move on? Secondly, who is this wisdom for? Well, we see it's for two general groups here in our text. It's for the simple and for the wise. So first, the simple. Look, You see in verse 4, to know wisdom, wise dealing, prudence, to the simple. All right, so who are the simple uh, some translations will use the word gullible. Um, and look, this is the person, the simple is the person that just honestly doesn't know any better. And, and not in a negative way. Uh, the simple is the person that is in a sense a, a blank slate, open to hear what wisdom has to say. They don't know which way to go. Um, somebody that could... Yeah, go either way in a given situation and and is willing to hear the options. Uh, Throughout Proverbs, the personification of wisdom and the personification of folly, right, the opposite, both appeal to the simple to try to sort of win them, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah, it's the person that that might might be easily misled. Um, You can also see how in a sense, the young, right, the youth, are, are sort of lumped into that category as well. Um, the main idea is that it's the person that's, that's open to hear, the, the simple. And so, look, I, I want you to see that that's actually really good news. It's really good news if you think about it, that if you're open to hearing it, then wisdom is for you. There, there are no requirements that you have to meet other than basically if you look and know, I don't really know how to navigate life very well. I would like to know more about how to have wisdom than you're exactly whom God wants to give wisdom to. That's good news. 
You don't have to get it together first to get wisdom. Um, it reminded me of earlier in the semester, uh, some of you will recall uh, that helped with this. It reminded me of uh, when we were giving away our RUF cups, right, when we'd set up tables. And, um, and it just blew people's minds that we were just giving away cups. And we had numerous people ask, what do I have to do for the cup? And we, we were just looking at it like, all you have to do is want a cup. Like, this is super easy math. If you want a cup, here it is. <laughs> and still people would double down and like, all right, do I have to? Like, no. <laughs> you don't even have to give us your name and, you know, number, right? You can if you want to. It's free. It's the same thing, Right? You don't have to do anything. You can just, it's there if you want it. All right, the second group that we see that it's for is, uh, is the wise. Uh, the wise in verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. So what you see is that there's always more wisdom to be gained. Uh, you never get to the bottom of it. Um, In other words, it's for the young and the old. Um, And it never runs out. Right? There's always more to be had. And and in fact, the more you get of wisdom, the more you want wisdom. And again, the good news is there's always more there. Um, And there's something beautiful about the fact that it just, it never runs out. Right? I thought about, you know what it's like when you get into a TV show uh, that you that you love, right? My favorite all time TV show. I've gotten David into it, thankfully. Uh, Justified. If you hadn't watched it, watch it. Um, but you know what it's like when you get into a TV show. You want to keep watching it, and yet at the same time, there's this almost sense of sadness that you're making your way through it because it, it, it's going to run out. Like there's only so many episodes, right? And so it's this weird tension. And I just think it's sort of a beautiful thing that that tension is not there with wisdom. There's always more and it's always there for you. You're never getting closer to the end. Uh, it's a life. It's a lifelong pursuit. Honestly, it makes me think of. Uh, it makes me think uh, when I was in seminary. Um, uh, we were in seminary. I was in seminary in Jackson, where uh, Amy's family's from. And uh, Amy's, man, I didn't even plan to do this illustration. Now I'm going to get sappy about it. Um, Amy's granddad uh, was, I mean, he was well into his 80s, right? Please nod or shake, right? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, at the, at the, at the very, <clears throat> sorry, uh, Tail end of his life. He passed away while we were there in seminary. And uh, when we would go to church, we all went to church together. And, and I can, I still have this picture. Uh, we would, you know, sit together with the family. And so he's, I don't know, he's well into his 80s. He's been a Christian for a long time. Sweet, godly man. And every Sunday morning, he would sit down and he'd pull out his Bible and he'd put it on his knees and he'd look up at the pastor and he'd sit there and he'd take notes and he'd listen. And it was just this beautiful picture 
of, of a man that was, that was still hungry for it. Right? What a beautiful picture. And, and in a sense, the good news is that there's always wisdom there for us. In never-ending supply. All right, thirdly and finally, uh, how do we get it? How do we get this wisdom? Or, or maybe where does it come from? Now you see verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then the last verse we have on there, 9-10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So evidently, wisdom, getting it, begins with the fear of the Lord. Now, that might sound like a strange concept to you. Um, if, maybe if you haven't grown up in the church or haven't heard that before. So what does it mean, the fear of the Lord? Uh, a guy named Bruce Waltke, another guy that I read some stuff on about Proverbs, he says that this phrase is, is sort of a technical term. Um, that the phrase itself, in other words, you can't break down the individual parts and, and therefore just figure out what it means. Right? You can't take fear by itself and understand that and then Lord and like, oh, I got fear of the Lord. He said it's, I think his example was, um, he said it's kind of like butterfly. Right? You can't take, you can't break that down and understand, like if you have no clue what that means, butter and fly, like that ain't going to help you a whole lot. Which by the way, as I was thinking about this, this is totally beside the point, but I thought pretty interesting. I got to thinking about that. Why do we not call them flutterbys, which is exactly what they do? <laughs> right? Take that for free. All right. All right, so the fear of the Lord sort of works like butterfly, right? We can't, it doesn't mean scared of God. So what does it mean? Uh, rather, as opposed to meaning just sort of terrified of God, um, the idea, and it's all throughout the Bible, um, it means a, a deep, a deep sense of affection and and reverence for God, a deep sense of awe. Um, all throughout the Bible, God reveals Himself as, on the one hand, infinitely holy. Um, that he's completely different than us. That he's absolutely untouchable. Right? That he is perfect. And that anything imperfect, sinful, is just consumed by his presence. Because he is so different. You cannot get near him. And at the exact same time, he reveals himself to be, um, to be very... Uh, Approachable, that he desires to be with his people, very loving, uh, caring, that he wants to be with us. Um, so, yeah, right, both of those things together, that God is on the one hand absolutely untouchable and at the same time utterly approachable. Um, and so it's, it's clear that while he does have this terrifying presence, that he does want us to be together and to be with him. And he wants, to, he wants us to relate to him not out of this like, I'm scared of him and so yeah, whatever, I'll, I'll do whatever he says. But rather out of love 
motivated out of love for his grace and his kindness to us. And because he has our best interest at heart. So fear of the Lord is a response to both of those things together. It's a sense of awe and reverence from his holiness that God is not to be trifled with. And a a love and a willing obedience because of his love for us. I think one of the best illustrations, and you very well have probably heard it before, comes from uh, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, And I'm going to read you the scene that you're probably familiar with. Uh, Lucy begins the scene. It says, is, speaking about Aslan, is is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man? Mr. Beaver said sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Right, that, that's why we love C.S. Lewis. That's the picture. Right, can you imagine actually meeting a lion? Being in the, in the direct, nothing, no glass, nothing between you and, and the overwhelming presence of a real lion. And how terrifying in one sense that would be. And yet, what if that lion, somehow, I get it's kind of strange, was one that you knew loved you? Both are true. It would produce a deep reverence and awe. And that's the fear of the Lord. So how does uh, knowledge or wisdom begin there? Um, Look, it it begins there because at the very least, it's this recognition that God is the creator. He's the the foundation of reality itself. And the only way we can understand the world around us is by understanding what he says about it. And so, look, I get it. You might be thinking like, okay, great. Here we go with the, uh, the... you know, God is boss, he gets to say, and so we should all listen to him, and uh, you know, we don't listen well enough, and we're not good, and we need to get in line and do what he says, and then life will be better, and I guess that's wisdom. And look, if you're thinking that, or, or thinking that we would stop there, I, I want to keep, we, we've got to keep peeling it back past that. We've got to keep digging deeper. Because that really begs the question, okay, well, so what is God's way, then? Or maybe we could ask it like that, or like this. What is it that brings about the fear of the Lord? So if we want wisdom, to get wisdom, you need the fear of the Lord. So how do you get the fear of the Lord? Interestingly enough, the answer is the wisdom of God. Now what do I mean by that? How is it possible for God's holiness and his love for people to fit together? How can both of those things be true? That God is perfectly just and will bring and necessarily will bring judgment for anything imperfect 
and yet wants to love and be near sinners. How can both of those things be true? All right, listen to 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to read a couple verses to you. Look, Paul's writing to a church that is just really screwed up. Um, they've, the church is broken down into a lot of different factions of people. And each group thinks that they, their group has it figured out and the other ones are idiots. And they're fussing about all this stuff. They think they've got it figured out. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, or but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And because of him, this is in verse uh, 30, a little later. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All right, do you see what Paul's saying? That he says that Jesus... Who he is, what he did, that he is the embodiment of God's wisdom. That he's the ultimate display of God's wisdom. That his, his if you go back to the definitions, right, that we talked about, his skill at being God, how good is he at being God? The, 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 the best example, the, the pinnacle of his skill at being God is Jesus. And what he, who he is and what he did. Because think about it, right? When God was faced, when God is faced with the, the seemingly impossible dilemma of how, how can I be absolutely perfect and require justice and bring justice And yet at the same time, love and be near these people that I've committed myself to that are utterly imperfect. Right? Those can't go together. But in his wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, what he did was he came in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He came himself And took the punishment. He put himself on the hook. Right? He entered his own story. And he bore the punishment that you and I deserve. So that justice is fully met. And he gives us the righteousness that Jesus earned on this earth. Of living a perfectly just and wise and holy life. And he credits that to us. So that he can be with us. It's, right, it's brilliant. And so as the Bible says in Romans, that he can be the just and the justifier. And so remember who wisdom is for. It's for anybody who wants it. It's open. All you have to do is want it. The, the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, is for anybody that wants it. It's for free. And since he's given us his son, why would he hold anything else back from us? 
So look, that's the lens through which we are going to look at. The lens through which we're going to study Proverbs is through the lens of the gospel. That's what Proverbs is doing. It's, it's, it's saying, let me give you wisdom. And the ultimate wisdom is seeing everything through the lens of the good news, of the wisdom of God himself. The good news of the gospel. And that's what we're going to do every week for the rest of the semester. We're going to talk about the skill of living and filtered through the, the good news of Jesus. And that's an invitation to you even tonight to take hold of that good news and, and every week from here on out. And so I pray that you take it and I pray that you come back and join us for the rest of this study. Uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wisdom. For how you have built this world, created it with wisdom. How you have entered into it in the in the wisdom in Jesus Christ and how you have offered that your grace and your mercy to us. Father, we uh, in James, you say that um, we don't have wisdom because we don't ask. And so, Father, we ask. Give us wisdom. Help us to believe the, the truth of your goodness and your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.